Michigan votes today, and some Democrats say they're voting uncommitted instead of President Biden. He nor Vice President Harris should take our vote for granted. What's the president hearing from voters who delivered the state forum in 2020? I'm Michelle Martin. That's Steve Inskeep, and this is Up First from NPR News. Some Michigan voters warned Biden to change course on the Israel-Hamas war. We're not sizable enough to make a candidate win. We're sizable enough to make a candidate lose. Our colleagues Leila Fadel and Don Gagne have been crossing the state. What are they hearing? Also, the United States goes to court to stop a grocery mega-merger. Kroger and Albertsons propose to combine. What does that mean for your neighborhood supermarket? Stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your day. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. Michigan holds its presidential primary today. We know who's likely to win, but we don't know what messages voters may be trying to send with their vote or decision not to vote, as the case may be. And they matter because Michigan is a presidential swing state, one of six that went to Joe Biden in 2020 and decided the election. Now he seems likely to face Donald Trump again, and Biden and Trump, of course, are the favorites today. For a preview today, we're joined by our co-host Leila Favel and by NPR national political correspondent Don Gagne, both in the great state of Michigan. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Don, what are you looking for? Well, on the GOP side, Donald Trump should have little trouble. Uh, Nikki Haley is on the ballot. She vows to continue to give Republican voters an option other than Trump, uh, at least through Super Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Uh, On the Democratic side, there's President Biden, who faces only minor challengers on the ballot, except there is one challenge to Biden that is really worth watching today. It's an orchestrated campaign by pro-Palestinian activists who are angry, and that is an understatement. They're angry that Biden has not called for a complete and permanent ceasefire in Gaza and to pressure him to do so, to send him a strong message. Arab Americans and Muslim Americans, many of them based in Dearborn, are urging Democratic primary voters to vote uncommitted. 
Layla, I've been listening to your reporting in that voter group. How widespread is the protest? I mean, it's beyond the Arab and American Muslim communities. We heard that same outrage in the Detroit metro area about Gaza from young people, progressives, other people of color, and specifically from young black voters who were saying to me they worry about Gaza, but also human rights in the U.S., voting Hmm. rights, police brutality, equality, inclusivity, and of course the economy came up too, and that's all making them think about sitting out this election. Take Kaya Brazil. She's black, a full-time student at Wayne State. She's 30, and she had to quit one of her two full-time jobs to enroll in school. She's a lifelong Democrat, has always voted, but this year she's not inspired. In the Democratic primaries today, she may vote uncommitted. And in the general election, she's thinking about staying home. So I asked her what she wants to hear from a candidate for president. We need a livable wage. It is absolutely ridiculous that you can work 40 plus hours and not be able to support yourself, let alone a family. Okay, so she can send a message in the primary, but there's also the general election. Are there people in these voter groups who are thinking of Donald Trump as a choice for them in the fall? A small, small minority. The big question is more, how many show up For the Democrats, the big question in a state like Michigan, where it's all about the margins. When we asked the campaign about their concern around the protest vote against Biden among would-be Democratic voters over Gaza, they said he's working for peace in the Middle East, but then highlighted a lot of other important issues that might appeal to these voters, like his investment in green energy or his stance on reproductive rights. So it seems like the campaign is hoping to win back voters who are angry with these other issues where they might see him as doing well. So again, all these voter groups important, but none give Michigan to a candidate alone. I think Dearborn Mayor Abdullah Hamoud, the first Arab American mayor of a majority Arab American city, put it to us best. We're not sizable enough to make a candidate win, but we're sizable enough to make a candidate lose. Hmm. Now, after hearing from him, we went to a Baptist church right here in Detroit and spent some time with Reverend Kenneth Flowers. He's a committed Democrat, a Biden fan, He'll be voting, but he he points to the low unemployment rates and the infrastructure bill as some of the wins for his community. But he's in his 60s, and he says he's concerned because in his congregation and community, he's hearing that same apathy and sometimes anger. Now, black voters turned out for Biden in 2020. He won by about 94% among that demographic. This year, though, Flowers says, based on his conversations, the president doesn't have the same pull now as he did then, and he has a lot of work to do before November. President Biden needs every black vote he can get. Now, at the same time, he nor Vice President Harris should take our vote for granted. They have to earn it. Of course, no group is a monolith, Steve, but that's the type of apathy we heard, not just in these candidates, but in the two-party system itself. And let's remember that the vote was pretty close in 2020. Now, now, Don, Layla has given us some impressions of specific voters there. How do those impressions compare with what you have experienced as someone who's living in Michigan? Oh, it's it's real. Uh, according to my reporting, according to my living here and encountering people, it's especially palpable in the Arab and Muslim American communities, certainly, but African American voters talk about their frustrations. And if you head out to the suburbs where a lot of independents and more moderate Republicans helped Biden out in 2020, they're still watching. And for some, it's maybe not even a choice between Biden and Trump. It's whether or not to vote at all at the top of the ballot. This this is indeed worth mentioning. Uh, and already people 
are quick to ponder a third-party vote when I have conversations with them. I used to hear a lot of that uh, over the years in the general election, but never during primary week. And now Nikki Haley supporters I talk to are wondering what other options may be out there for them. Same with Arab American voters, certainly with black voters too. I'm glad you mentioned suburbs. Of course, there's a lot of Midwestern suburbs that were red, very red years ago and getting, getting more blue. And the question is whether Biden can sustain that. And I also wonder about the union vote in Michigan. Union households traditionally support Democrats, some like Trump, certainly, but overall Biden won them big. With the United Auto Workers Union, it's usually around 60% for the Democrat, a solid margin by any measure, right? And it helped Biden win in 2020. But but the catch is there's no letting up for Biden. He needs to do that again. He needs that margin. Uh, he does have a big endorsement from the UAW and its charismatic new leader, Sean Fain, the UAW. UAW was coming off a strike in the fall, and they got a contract with big raises. Biden even marched on the picket line with them. Yeah, well, I went out to Flint, where GM was founded, and despite all these wins, I spent time with a family that's four generations of auto workers, and they all seem to be leaning, not enthusiastically, but leaning towards Trump over things like immigration and Ukraine. And and that underscores this is not a monolith. Biden needs to work it because he needs to do well with unions more than ever, especially if other pieces of the coalition, as we've been talking, are not enthusiastic. You know, it's a mix of constituencies that Democrats really need to win in Michigan. Biden needs to tend to, the, tend to them all and to do so by keeping the margins of victory at their typical level within each each group. And uh, Trump, meanwhile, just has to make some inroads and to pick off enough of them to win himself. We'll keep listening for both of your uh, reporting in the days ahead. NPR's Leila Fadel and Don Gagne, thanks to you both. My pleasure. Thank you. The U.S. government wants to stop a merger of grocery chains, and nine states are going along. America's two largest supermarket chains, Kroger and Albertsons, want to become one. That mega merger would reshape the industry, which now also includes retail giants like Amazon and Walmart, but the Biden administration in several states are suing to block it. NPR's Lena Seljuk is here. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, and I want to clear up the very important thing. I grew up in Indiana saying, grocery? People also say what grocery? Do people it, complain about that. I, I've heard. I mean, obviously, lots of people say grocery. I say grocery. No okay, one's complaining. Gr- grocery, it is for the course of we'll this. Stick report. to that. How big would these two grocery chains be if they're combined? Um, this would be the biggest uh, grocery deal in recent history. It's worth almost $25 billion. And so what you have is you have uh, Kroger, which is the largest supermarket chain. It owns all these other stores like Ralph's, Harris Teeter, Fred Meyer. And then you have Albertsons, which is its top direct competitor. Hmm. And it also owns Safeway, Vons, Jewel, Osco. And together, they employ 720,000 people. They own about 5,000 locations across 48 states. And so the Federal Trade Commission, along with nine states, are suing to stop that merger, arguing that it would 
erase competition for both shoppers and for workers. Wow, I'm realizing listening to this, I mean, my mom, hundreds of miles from here, is shopping in one of these stores. I'm shopping in Everyone one of these is. stores. Yeah, so what is the case that the uh, companies took to the government that this merger should be okay? They presented this deal as existential to surviving in today's grocery business. Uh, they say, sure, we're top regional chains, but the real competitors are these national giants like Amazon, Walmart, Costco, even dollar stores. Walmart sells more groceries than Kroger and Albertsons combined. Plus, they say the two of them are the largest union shops in American retail. And so they say blocking their deal would actually just boost these massive non-union stores. And they certainly expect a tough scrutiny. They also tried to cushion their deal by pitching a plan to sell off hundreds of stores in areas where they overlap to basically create a competitor to themselves. Hmm, Saying we are the union shops would seem to be an argument designed to appeal to the pro-union Biden administration. But it sounds like federal regulators weren't impressed. Um, They did not buy the arguments on, for example, on the plan to sell the stores. The FTC said this plan is a messy hodgepodge that the buyer would struggle to run, let alone grow to compete. On the question on national competitors, I post that one to Rahul Rao. He's one of the main officials um, on this case at the FTC. And he said the review really looked at how people actually shop for food. For example, there's not a Walmart near where I live. And in a lot of rural communities, there aren't Walmarts out there. It takes days for Amazon to be delivered. Dollar stores don't carry a deli or a butcher. And the main argument against the merger right now is that Kroger and Albertsons compete head-to-head on food prices, on pharmacy hours, on quality of products, on benefit packages. And they wouldn't really need to if they're the same company. Is this lawsuit going all the way to trial? I think so, and pretty pretty rapidly in legal terms. Uh, it will be a very interesting case. One thing to note, regulators are going to be testing this new kind of argument, which is that mergers should protect not only consumers and prices, but also workers. And we haven't really seen it tested in court, so it will be interesting to watch. And Pierre Salina Seljuk, thanks for the update on the grocery, grocery, grocery industry. Grocery, grocery. Thank you. And that's up first for this Tuesday, February 27th, almost the last day of the month that I have to pronounce February. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Michelle Martin. Today's episode was edited by Rena Advani, Emily Kopp, H.J. Mai, and Ben Adler. It was produced by Claire Murashima, Ben Abrams, and Julie Deppenbrock. We get engineering support from Stacey Abbott, and our technical director is Zach Coleman. Join us again tomorrow. We'll have results and analysis from the Michigan primary. Where, of course, we have reporters on the ground, as we've been hearing, NPR News brings you stories from across the country thanks to NPR station reporters who are on the ground in your community and in many others. You can keep that network strong by going to donate.npr.org slash upfirst. All that sitting and swiping... Your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. 
Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Washington Wise. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how it may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.